One morning you waking up in the projects And the next morning you wake up in a 1.2 million dollar car How did I get here? I'm looking for you with Haitians I stay smoking on good Jamaican I fuck bitches from different races You get money, they started hating I woke up in a new Bugatti I woke up in a new Bugatti Welcome back, Butt Coiners. This is episode 13 of Unconfirmed Transactions, and I'm Dan Anderson, or Droplister, as you probably see me in Twitter, Reddit, and Telegram. That song is the song I'm going to listen to when my Dogecoin boat comes in. Many Satoshis to you. Bow wow, chicka wow, who let the dogs out? Okay. Uh, one of the stories I'm following right now is, it's funny, <laughs> it's funny how quickly stories come and go in Bitcoin. I love it. Uh, so obviously the Bitfinex thing I've been following, but I don't really want to talk about it too much. I don't, I didn't use Bitfinex. Um, it's just, I'm just a bystander watching this thing happen. I think it's really funny that they, they, um, they're tokenizing their debt now. Uh, but the story that I'm actually following right now is kind of breaking is that OKCoin was fined by a Chinese court for helping criminals, uh, with money laundering. This is something that's been posted on to onto reddit and it has a link to a um like a chinese court document so i don't know a whole lot about it but it makes a whole lot of sense to me that okcoin is involved in that um what else we got here okay so there's a new thing i want to introduce I've, I've already spammed the shit out of all the the message boards and chat rooms about this but um a new thing i have is 188 okcoins that's a real toll-free number for the show. Basically, you call it up, and it's just a voicemail box. And you can call up, it's toll-free, leave a voicemail, and maybe it'll show up on the show. I got a lot of spam complaints from people. Like I entered the um, the Whale Club on Telegram and got Instabanned because apparently I'm I'm just a spammer. But I have always been just a spammer. Like that's how I I'm here to like I'm here for the lulls and to spam. And like I've said that before, and I'll, I'll stand by that. That's what I'm here for. Um, but if you call in, you can get on the show. I'm not sure how long I'll do it. Um, there are some costs involved with like maintaining a toll-free number, but they're, they're not that significant if people in fact call in and it's a nice, it makes it easier for me to facilitate like the content creation of the show. And thank you for your contributions. Um, I found a nice Jamaican fellow on Fiverr to create a nice rap for it. So let's check that out. If you've already heard this. You know, just skip ahead two minutes. But this is my Fiverr deal of the week. This is 1880 OK Coins coming at you. I'll never get high on my own supply. But the streets is getting greedy. The party getting needy. They're asking for the stuff so they can get stuffy. I got the cryptocurrency so I can buy you and sell you the remedy. I know you're sick, fool. I got the sick food to get you in a good mood. Don't sweat the bite on the dark net. Market, you can get the drugs sent. USPS, yes, it's a long line. But you got to join. I do the bind. Cause I got the Bitcoin. 188 OK 
peace, no sleep. You want the info, you're scared, peeping through the window. In your life of sorrow, you might call tomorrow, cause your life is horror. When I know your secrets and I can release it tomorrow. So don't play dumb, I'm holding your data as ransom. My crypto locker is a dirty motherfucker. One, eight, eight, okay coins. One eight eight okay coins. Pay up that fucking money. Okay coins. One eight eight okay coins. Pay up that fucking money. My homie laughing, he's a scammer, a hacker, cash tacker, coins roller, stealer of 120,000 bitcoins, 60 million, he gave a half to me cause we them boys, took 30 millions to buy some toys, bitches chasing me every time I flex, cause I got the biggest exchange, Poloniex, we took it from bit for next. 188 OK coins. 188 okay coins. Pay up that fucking money. Okay coins. 188 okay coins. Pay up that fucking money. What do you think? It, it, it's kind of growing on me. Like I, I just I yucked it up as soon as I got that. So basically, I just set him up with. I was like, here, I want you to sing about Bitcoin. Uh, I'm interested in the number being said. Doesn't really matter the context. And here's some news that's happened right now. And he understood the directions pretty well like i don't know maybe this guy's a bitcoiner because you know he would see seems like he knows what's going on love i love the part about the crypto locker my crypto locker is a dirty motherfucker <laughs> pay up that fucking money <laughs> he's good it's just a hit it's it's, it's a good I, I like it all right so add that to your meme factory um Let's just go into some of the, because I already have some voicemails this week, not as many as I was hoping for, but I haven't introduced it yet, so it's a preliminary. Hopefully these voicemails will be, so they'll seed, you know, some idea in your head and you'll call in when you're drunk or angry or annoyed and leave your own message and get in on the conversation. It's not hard to pick up the phone and leave a message, you know, and it's fun. And I'll, I'll do all the audio production and the distribution and get your ideas out there. I'm also ganking this idea from um, Chris and Josh. They've been talking about doing a call-in show and thinking I'm going to run their call-in show, but I'm going to run my own goddamn call-in show. Um, this first one I have here, speaking of Jean-Seth, is a back page ad. Thank you kindly. Thank you very much. Appreciate you. Let it roll. Boobies, nipples, boobies, nipples, boobies, nipples, boobies, nipples on back page, yeah. That's www.backpage.com for all your booby and nipples needs. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to, so when I went to Florida, I hung out with these guys inside of this like flea market they have there in this really weird neighborhood, and we spent hours inside this place and I, there's some footage that I've seen. Uh, I mean, I was there for like the production of it, but I've seen some, some cutting floor editing room footage and it's looking really good. But Chris and Josh are taking a long time to edit this stuff. I think they're really working on it hard, but it just, it's going to be so fucking funny. One of the things that was interesting about, I'm, I've been thinking about like, I just, I'll just be walking around and I'll start thinking about this goddamn trip. But like, there was all these jewelry stores, and they talked about it on their show, but there are these jewelry stores that sold like Buzz Lightyear chains for like 80 grand, like something ridiculous like that. And I personally, I don't think any of those prices are real, but it seemed to me like everyone else thought they were like real. Like it just doesn't make sense to me. 
it seems like an extraordinary claim that there's like 10 jewelry stores all with like very simple glass cases um, and just like, you know, you know those uh, st- like corrugated steel doors that go up and down? Like the security there is not very tight. And there's many of these jewelry stores. And if they have like a million dollars in jewelry and there's like 10 of them, there's like 10 million. I, I don't know if the market <laughs> is as big as like the the demand there is big enough for that. I, I imagine, and to me, I think what's going on there is either it's some sort of um, like maybe those prices aren't real in terms of like what the underlying value is, but maybe there's some relationship with like you could buy that jewelry, but also resell it to them at some sort of like pegged price. That might be what's going on there. Also might be that people come in there and they're all fucked up on Flocka or like they just like rob somebody and got free money. And, you know, then they just, you know, take the money from that person at a marked up rate. I don't know. I just, I'm not, I'm still not sure what's going on in that place, especially around these jewelry stores and the prices of the jewelry. What do we have next? So this is either trade with Dave trolling me or it's some sort of NSA shit. You be, you be the judge, but it sounds like trade with Dave, but it might not be. Security, the state. Hello? Hello, the security, the state, who's there? Hello, uh, this is a secure line. Set this line has to be open at all times. Please do not call this number. Is anybody there? Hello? This is Dave. Please do not call this number. This is a secure line. Please leave this line open at all times. Yeah, so that was weird. That's, a, that's one of the voicemails I got. Which is funny because it's an 888 number. It goes straight to voicemail. I, I can't make phone calls out of it. So this, this voicemail is as if, as if I called that person. So I don't know what that's about. The, num- the phone number tracks back to Arberdeen, Maryland, and there's a military base there. So tinfoil hat shit, maybe. Probably not. All right, now let's get on to... I, ha- I did receive some actually very good call-in questions this week, and I'm very happy for that. Thank you very much, Stoicism. Stoicism, you may have heard on one of the recent Bitcoin Uncensored, he um, submitted some audio where he talked to a one-coiner. That was re- some really good content there. And, you know, he's he's, um, he's up for the content game. I like that a lot. So if you want to be like Stoicism, follow his example. Call in, 188-OK-COINS. Okay All right, here's his first question. This is this is some pretty decent questions. Like they're, It's like obscene dark market questions, so I like that. Here's the first one. What's up, OK Coins? This is Stoicism. Yo, uh, I got a few things that I want to talk about. Um, first one is uh, the darknet markets. Um, therefore, they don't seem like they're all that good for stuff that you can get on the street, like heroin, crack, weed, stuff like that. It seems like it's more for uh, the long tail type stuff. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that kind of thing. I think Bitcoin on Censored has said that exact same thing before, but I want to hear what your take on us is on that, Dan, after in light of the recent findings. Uh, the other thing is Ethereum versus Ethereum Classic. Are the Ethereum people just going to – is the only value proposition of Ethereum that the Vitalik and co. is behind it? And if so, like, what, why would they think that that's so much more valuable with Vitalik than without Vitalik? I don't, I don't understand why exactly. Uh, I wonder if you want to elaborate on that. 
All right, that's all I got. Thanks. All right, so I'll, I'll take the first question first, which is whether or not the darknet markets are more for what you might generally call the long tail. Um, I think I would I would agree with that to some extent. So I, I have pulled up here, um, and I'm going to keep talking about him, but there's no more research to be done, really. I mean, there's been a lot of research, but this guy named Gwern, he has done like all of the best research that exists and I don't have like the wherewithal to improve upon his own research. So basically I'm looking right now and I'll put these links and graphs in the show notes, but I'm looking right now at a graph of the dark web. And interestingly enough, the dark web or dark net markets seem to follow like an 80, 20 principle. So two, five, uh, 2.5% of the marketplace activity is non-drug activity. So fake money, fake IDs, credit cards, electronics, hacking, porn, gift cards, that represents 2.5% of the market. The rest of the market is 98% drugs. So the dark net markets are drug markets, pre- preliminary, or primarily, sorry. I've been drinking this Saturday. Um so that means, and of that 98%, that is drugs, about 20% is prescription drugs. Um, so Xanax, Oxy, um, and Alprazolam, and Valium, and Ritalin, stuff like that. And then the other 20% is illegal drugs. So uh, the 80-20 principle in effect, that's cool to see. The largest um, drug is MDMA and ecstasy. That's number one, according to this data at this time. This is from December 2013 to July 2015. So something like 8 million in MDMA and ecstasy. I don't know like what the depth of this like data goes to like i don't know if it's one just one marketplace oh it says right here (laughs) it says silk road 2 evolution and agora so it's not the entire dark net um or dark net markets but it's those three marketplaces mdma xc is number one marijuana is number two at about 5.7 million cocaine is number three at 5.2 million speed is number four at 2.3 million heroin is number five at 1.8 million lsd is number six 1.5 million crystal meth number seven at 1.4 million ketamine 0.8 million dmt 0.4 million mushrooms 0.2 million and then tci so small as to not have a number on this register. So that's how things break down on the dark web. I think you asked in your question, Stoicism, like it wouldn't be good for marijuana, but it's marijuana is on in this data set the second most. And just from my like more less less you know technical statistical look at things, I think marijuana is probably one of the bigger sellers out there. So when it comes to is it long tail or not, I don't think, I think it's yes and no. So it's yes, but in not not necessarily around the products, but maybe around like your location. 
So I think people that are buying on the darknet markets might be in locations that are underserved by like the the you know the streets. Um, I don't know how things are everywhere, but I know that you know drugs aren't evenly distributed across the country. There are places where it's harder to get, and it may be more taboo to get, or you might not have the knowledge about where to go, or you might not have the the willingness to deal with the people selling it. So the long tail here might not be. It's a mix. It's a mis- mix of the products themselves. It's a mix of your location. It's a mix of your knowledge. And it's a mix of your um, risk tolerance, I would say. Maybe technical um, know-how. So it's, it's really hard to say. But MDMA, marijuana, and cocaine, in my own personal experience, are not hard things to come by. But they are the largest thing for sale on the darknet markets. Um, in terms of drugs, I would say like long tail stuff would be, you know, like DMT, ketamine, well, ketamine's like a party drug, LSD, mushrooms, like those are the more long taily drugs, I would say, like psychedelics, stuff like that. Um, but those amount to much less than the categories like cocaine, marijuana, and MDMA. So, I mean, basically, Speed, heroin, LSD, crystal meth, ketamine, DMT, mushrooms, all that combined doesn't add up to more than like all cocaine sales or all, all marijuana sales or all MDMA sales. So I don't know for certain about that. I think I think there's some truth to it, but I would just say it might be many factors going on there. Hope that answered your question. Like I, I don't know for sure. Oh, the next part of your question was, when it comes to Ethereum versus Ethereum Classic, is Proof of Vitalik the differentiator? I don't know. I will say yes. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I guess so. What what I've been thinking about, this is going to just be unrelated, or related to Ethereum, but unrelated to your question, because I don't know how to answer your question, but I've been thinking about Ethereum, and so... Ethereum seems to be like people that are investing in it are, are assuming there's going to be like this big wave of adoption or something like that into Ethereum um, or there'll be adopters after these early adopters. But I'm not so certain about that. I think I think the people that are in Ethereum now are the the only adopters there's going to be um, because they don't have any they don't have things, things like the darknet markets or um this like remittance situation or um, this like potential short-term, medium-term store of value thing going on the same way Bitcoin does. So they're like relying on apps. So one of the, this is another, I'm going off on tangents here, but one of the interviews I'm trying to get is I want to talk to Magic the Gathering card traders. So my friend's into the Magic the Gathering and obviously that's very Bitcoin because Mt. Gox was originally the Magic Magic the Gathering online exchange. So Magic is like Bitcoin pre-Bitcoin. So apparently certain cards in Magic the Gathering are made in the 90s. Are, they're limited. They, they don't print them anymore. So there's known set supply of certain cards. And what people will do 
is because the markets are very shallow is they'll buy out entire cards. Let's say there's 600 of them. These, someone will just show up with money and just buy them all out and then they'll restrict the supply and they'll list like one for sale. They'll list two for sale and they'll just corner the market of a certain card. And that's very, um, apparently very controversial in that community. And I found some articles on it. And what's really funny is it talks about potatoes. It's like Magic the Gathering card trading uh, buyouts and potatoes. <laughs> so it's something like that. It cracks me up seeing that. Um, so I, I'm actually, I would love to interview this um, the guy that founded Mount Gox as a Magic the Gathering trading card site about this. Because obviously they're trading them as collectibles. Maybe Bitcoins are collectibles. When it comes down to Ethereum versus Ethereum Classic, it seems like they really destroyed the collectability of Ethereum by doubling the supply. Um, Ethereum's going very one coin in that way by doubling everyone's supply. So I hope they split some more. Like I, I think if, if we could get another two to three splits of Ethereum, like, you know, you could be looking at, you know, two, four, eight times, 16 times, 64, no, 64 times. <laughs> no, 16 times. Is a doubling exponential or whatever? Don't do math online. All right, where was I? Did I, did I answer your question maybe there? Possibly kind of. On to the next one. Um, so so Stoicism actually called back and asked another question. Like those are that, those are initial questions I really enjoyed. Thank you very much. So let's try the second one. What's up, Dan? It's Stoicism again. Uh, there's one more thing that I forgot to mention. Um, I did a little re a little, just a little searching on my own about uh, drop men usage of drop men usage of like that drop zone idea of sending the GPS coordinates uh, for the darknet markets. And it's like, it seems to me like reason that I don't like the current state of the darknet markets is because I have to give some guy my address. And I don't want to do that because he's going to get busted eventually and then the, the FBI will have my address there as well as all the other reasons that they have my address. And I, now the only solution that I can see so far is drop men for this, is uh, the drop zone technology, right? The GPS coordinates. Uh, I'm wondering if there's any other ways to make buying things on the darknet market safer for me as a as a customer or if drop men is the only way and it doesn't seem like people are that into the idea of drop men most people are saying that they don't like the idea at all um that they don't want to have to go somewhere and risk getting shot or something or arrested while picking the thing up which is a little weird to me because either that or you're giving the criminal your your personal address so I don't know if they would actually like it. They say that you can't, you have to do FE, finalize early with the drop men because you can't really do escrow with that sort of thing. I don't know if that's true either. Um, and I guess Outlaw Market and one other are using this thing right now. I don't know if anybody's actually doing it. I did find one post on Reddit where a guy was saying that he's like in, in England and he actually has done these transactions. And basically what he does is he hides a bunch of stuff all over the city. He spends like one day just going around and hiding stuff all over the place. And then he goes back uh, and, you know, the orders start coming in. And over the course of the next few weeks, people just go out and pick them up on their own. I mean, it seems awesome, right? So I'm wondering why people wouldn't want to do this, why it's not currently being done, because I like this idea way better than 
the giving a criminal my address. Um, besides the fact that you're probably going to get scammed a bunch of times if you do this because you're going to pay them and then just trust that the item will be out there. So, uh, yeah, anyway, thanks a lot, Dan. All right, that's a pretty dense question. There's a lot going on there. I made some notes um, so I can kind of just – I'll just talk on some of it. So first off, I want to talk about Drop Zone. Um, Drop Zone is a project that I was really hoping to contribute to. Um, fact is, it, it's difficult to contribute to an open source project where um, there is no – like the incentive is sort of like purely ideological there. Um so the opportunity cost of working on the open source project where the incentive is basically, you know, just to support something you think is like a cool idea is difficult. So when I have other things going on, it it just becomes hard to contribute to. Um, there is something that really bugs me about Drop Zone because I, I want to contribute to it, but it's hard to um, time-wise. First off about Drop Zone, it's not just for dead drops. So it's designed to really facilitate that thing specifically, but it's not just for that. Um, you might think of it just as a information market. So what people are buying and selling there is information about like where things are. So that's one way to think about it. That's not necessarily a physical location either. Like it could be a digital thing. Like you could be selling digital information on Drop Zone. Um, one way you might think about it is it's like a dark market system or a DMS, if you will, similar to DNS. It like routes you to buyers in their listings. Um, that might be, or like the listings route you to buyers who have their testnet address and then you contact them from there and, you know, you find out what's going on. Um, it's pretty flexible in that way. I just want to, you know, note that because drop zones often just thought of as like it's purely for dead drops, but it's it's actually not. It's more of a register for buyers to um, be located, and once they're located, you can get the sort of more real time information from them because because you're entering stuff into the blockchain. It's like it's not going to update all the time. It's more like a way to announce like, hey, I'm a seller. Hey, here's my testnet address. Hey, you can contact me. And then beyond that, it's um, pretty much whatever the, however the seller acts on the inside of that market. It's up to them. Um, in terms of protecting yourself on darknet markets, um, obviously there, everything's, everything has got risks. There's risks involved with, with all these things. Um, I haven't purchased anything from a darknet market in several years, so... Uh, just keep that in mind. But I have like checked them out just to keep up on like what's going on there. Um, one of the things, you know, always encrypt your information, obviously. Like sure, you are trusting that seller to keep that information. But as long as you encrypt it, there's a chance that if they ever get raided that um, they've either lost or the, um, you know, the Leos can't, decrypt that information so always always encrypt your information that's for one in terms of like when you're on the market and doing you know your dealings um rely on the reputation within the markets that's always been one of the hardest parts of drop zone 
as you mentioned, maybe it's like with drop zone, you have to give the money ahead of time. Um, so that's a thing. Um, so reputation is always one of these hardest things within these marketplaces. Um, you know, when you don't have like identities that are trackable to real people, you have to really trust their sort of the sort of the data set that's available to you, um, or analyzing that data. That's what the guys uh, from Bitcoin Uncensored were looking at doing with Brodo, is analyzing the network to to provide that reputation. Um, if assuming Dropzone or something like it ever worked, and basically it would be like a data store on the blockchain, and anyone could set up and become like an explorer for it, like the same way we have Bitcoin blockchain explorers. And they kind of display the information in different ways and people trust different ones to be better or worse. You would have sort of um, market explorers that would, you know, ingest the blockchain data and analyze it. And they would compete on reputation analysis, essentially. And um, that would be in like search functions. But they wouldn't like um, they wouldn't escrow your reputation with that one market the, your reputation will be on the blockchain um that's one of the there's a lot of benefits there for for sellers um in terms of like accessing the dark net obviously um there's tails i don't know if you've heard of tails but check out tails there's one called cubes os that's recently came out that's interesting um there's hunix um i would say don't use just tor that would be um not enough you would need you should use like virtual machines and like tails um, or cubes os or hunix or some combination of say routing through a vpn through tails then back through another vpn like you could um add layers which would you know depending on your risk profile like if you're just like a one-time buyer you know that might be not as big a deal to you but if you're a seller that might be you know crucial to your success um what else am i thinking about here um i would say also well, that's one of the things that relates to this concept of drop men on the outlaw market is like say you want to buy stuff from a darknet market you might want to buy like in bulk costco style and just try to like limit the number of times you purchase um because you know it's like rolling the dice every time so if you just want to just roll the dice once you kind of buy more than you really need now but then you have it and you don't have to expose yourself to that risk again and again in terms of law enforcement the interesting thing about the darknet markets like silk road and the like is that that since they're centralized that that actually aids in law enforcement and you got to remember that law enforcement, the way they work is like law enforcement cannot be everywhere. Law enforcement works because it has a rigid hierarchy and swift communication network such that if there is an issue, they can sort of like bring their um, focus to that, you know, issue quickly and rapidly. They have they're like a, they have rapid response to communication. And that's how like law enforcement works. Um, so when things are centralized, that system is very useful for them. It's very cost effective, but with something like um, drop dead drops and um, drop med, you you're increasing the sort of you're decentralizing 
the the whole thing and making it increasingly expensive to do things like surveillance um and like it just increases the cost of enforcement that's one of the big um selling points of drop zone to sellers is that the law enforcement focuses mainly on distributors as where they want to spend their resources in terms of enforcement and less so on the buyers and drop zone is made to really shelter the sellers more than it is the buyers because buyers take the risk of like going to pick up those things um not knowing like if there's going to be someone there or if it's law enforcement they're going to meet or whatever but sellers um sellers would be protected and it's through reputation that the buyers would be protected it's a very you know it's interrelated there um the outlaw men the outlaw market drop men I think the way that essentially works is it's a very much an Amazon warehouse fulfillment model. And so I believe the idea of a drop man is that I will sell you a bunch of bulk, bulk drugs. Like I will send you a bunch, like a big old box of drugs. And you will then, um, if I have an order that's near you, let's say you're in London and I have an order in London and you're my drop man. I say, Hey, want you need to go dead drop this somewhere like in London uh, thank you kindly. Bye. And then you get that money. So you make your cut and it's, it's quickly delivered. And the guy above you as drop man, he's reduced his like surface area to law enforcement by sending fewer packages. And maybe he's even increased his rate at which he can deliver items by doing this, like just in time, Amazon warehouse style fulfillment. Um, that's probably as much as I'll say on that. So those those are some musings on darknet markets for you. So thank you kindly for your questions. If you want to be on unconfirmed transactions, call one eight eight OK Coins. That's one eight eight OK Coins. Pay up that fucking money. I feel like Doctor Sue on this show right now. It's great. Hi, Brandy. Hi, Sue. This is. Um, Brandy, I like yeah. the story. I enjoy it. Oh, thank you. It's very educate, educational. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the question I have is, is a- rough anal sex safe and okay? Is a rough anal sex safe? Yeah. Is it okay? Okay. How? I worry about it. Let's put it that way. Because the rectum... Uh-huh. is a very, very fine mucous membrane. It tears very easily. Doesn't heal very quickly. Not like your vagina. Uh-huh. The vagina is cast iron. I mean, you figure the vagina can stretch wide enough to deliver a 10-pound baby. Yeah. The vagina can take a real lot of rough-and-tumble play. But the rectum isn't designed for that. Mm. So I worry about getting a tear in there. Because then you've got feces, you know feces? Yes. Poo-poo, mm-hmm. <laughs> coming down. And feces are loaded with bacteria. Yeah. And bacteria get into that little tear. you got an anal abscess. So I worry about it. I really do. Oh, it, by the way, if you want to be anonymous, um, just don't mention who you are or be explicit about it. I'll cut the part out, but... I figure it's just something we uh, we can do on the show. It might be fun. Uh, I encourage you to call in. And, uh, you know, no high expectations. Like, John Seth set the bar really low for everyone with boobies and nipples. So if you want to call in, great. 
I'd appreciate it, and it might make for a more interesting show. Let's see here. I have two more things to talk about in the darknet markets that are specific to not my own musings, but this Gwern research. Um, and this is all, again, I'm going to be in the show notes. There's another interesting graph that came out of his research, which correlates um, what you're selling and determine, they basically did some analysis where it's like, if you're selling fake IDs, how likely are you to be selling drugs? Not likely, very likely, somewhat likely, neutral. Um, and they have this like grid. So if you're selling credit cards, you're likely not selling drugs. Like that's very, very likely not happening if, if you're selling credit cards. Same with fake IDs, except there's a neutral relationship around selling fake IDs and also selling ketamine and mushrooms. Um, if you're selling anything that's non-drug, and remember this is around 2% to 3% of the market, if you're selling anything non-drugs like porn cards, hacks, fake money, you're likely to be selling other non-drug stuff too. I think this is probably because most of those are scams. So if you're scamming, of course you, you have a lot of things to sell that are scams. Like if you have one scam, you have another scam. And there's a funny thing about um, some of these scams is fake money. So people sell fake money in the dark markets. And here's how the scam works. They'll send you a free sample or like a, a sample and they'll send you a real $10 note. And you'll be like, damn, this looks real. This is a really good fake. And then you come back and you place like your big order and that's when they scam you. Um, that's how most scams work. That's like the classic con, you know, it's like, once you have the confidence, then that's when you scam. There are some other funny correlations here. Like if you're selling heroin, you're likely not selling marijuana. If you're selling, um, what else we got here? I guess that's pretty much the only other interesting correlation. This is in the show notes though. You can check it out yourself. And the last thing I'll talk about is that I suggested there might be a relationship between the growth and the disappearance of markets in the last show. And what's interesting about that is that Quern, this fucking monster of a fucking darknet market researcher, already modeled this idea with data. So what he did is he he actually he has a list of markets and how they disappeared and when, whether it was a raid, a hack, a scam, or just a voluntary disappearance. And he established an R program to guess the probability of the survival. He calls it black market survival predictions. So using existing data about how long markets existed for and how they disappeared and like figuring out what the, the odds are there, he modeled this and you know made some predictions based on that. So I was really... Um, yeah, it's funny because I love this guy's data and his research, but it's like, well, nothing more to do here. <laughs> so, uh, cracks me up. All right, guys, short show today, um, or shorter than maybe usual. I covered some ground there around darknet markets. Um, don't forget to call in if you'd like to contribute and be heard. Thanks for listening.
Have a nice day. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And is he using penis or is he using toys? Penis. Okay. I worry about it. I worry about it. It's up to you. It's your rectum, not mine. <laughs> <laughs>